the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. I just love the feeding of the 5,000 in many different aspects, but in, in this aspect. Have you ever felt like you didn't have much to offer to God? You, you, ever, you ever felt like that the Lord wanted to use you in a way or, you know, minister through you in some way, and you're just thinking, like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what I have to offer, Lord. And this is one of these stories that reminds me, all we need to give Him is the little bit and let Him do His wonderful work. I don't have much to offer. Okay, well, whatever you have to offer, that's what the Lord will take. And that's what the Lord multiplies and uses for His glory. Have you ever felt as though you didn't have much to offer God and what you did have wouldn't be of use to Him and the glory of His kingdom? While this is a common feeling for many believers, we need to look no further than the feeding of the 5,000 for encouragement. As Pastor Gary will teach you in his message today, there's never a time where God can't make an abundance out of what we lack. In his study, you'll be reminded how a little faith, willingness, and humility can go a long way in the kingdom. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Now, notice, if you will, that it tells us here it was Herodias who asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Mark's gospel, when Mark recalls this story in Mark 6.19, it gives us even more insight. This is what it says in Mark 6.19. For she nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. She nursed a grudge against John the Baptist and wanted to kill him. Ever since John the Baptist had spoken out against her and Herod Antipas for living together in sin, she resented it. She resented it so much that she held a grudge and she became bitter. And she nursed and she rehearsed that grudge over and over and over and over again until this opportune time came and she says to her daughter, to her daughter, why don't you ask for his head? Now this is my moment to get the head of John the Baptist. Because Antipas was too scared to kill the guy and rightfully so. He knew that he was a popular figure among the, the Israelites. But Herodias, because she was so bound by a grudge and bitterness that she had nursed and rehearsed over and over, first thing off her lips was, have John the Baptist's head cut off. That's what I want. This is a picture of what happens when we do not deal with grudges and bitterness and offenses that we have in our lives. Now, in this particular case, she should have been repentive because 
a prophet of God was speaking truth into her life. She didn't really have any business being resentful or holding a grudge because she was being confronted about sin. But that aside for a moment, there are going to be times perhaps in your life where someone might say something to you that is not necessarily even a confrontation of a sin issue. They just say something to you that you don't like or some offense that they do against you. Now, you have one of two ways of handling that. You can either give it to God or you can rehearse that and nurse a grudge over and over again until it eats you alive, till you end up doing something later that you would probably regret. Mark this verse down. This is a great verse. It should be in everybody's Bible somewhere. Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11. It says this. The last part of Proverbs 19.11 said, It is the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It is the glory of a man, that's a generic term, man or woman, to overlook an offense. People being people will from time to time offend you. Anybody married? Hello? It's going to happen in marriage. It's going to happen in friendship. It's going to happen in employment. It's going to happen because people are people. Sometimes they will, people will offend you intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And what are you going to do with it? You're going to, you're going to rehearse that? You're going to go to bed at night and you're going to start to have ill will towards that person? Well, God, get them. You know, you're just gonna, and you just keep, you know, don't kill them. Don't kill, just make them suffer. You know, just kind of, and you're rehearsing things over again. You just, I can't believe that guy said this. I can't believe that she said that. I can't believe, oh, I can't. And you stew and you rehearse it. And you just, the idea of nursing a grudge, it's just that picture of just, you know, coddling it, taking care of it. And just, you know, helping it to grow up. Until what? Well, Hebrews talks about this. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many. That's what a bitter root does. It springs up, causes trouble, and it defiles many. Because if you think that your offense is only going to hurt you, you're mistaken. Because your attitude and your disposition changes along with the offense that you're coddling, and now you become bitter and poisonous to other people around you. That's why people don't want to be around you. Because you have not rightfully, in a proper, rightful way given your offense to God, and now, whether you realize it or not, the poison is spilling over, and people will avoid you. And you're wondering, why is it nobody seems to want to hang with it? Because there's bitterness you haven't dealt with. There's a grudge you're holding on to, and it spills over, and it affects many. That's what Hebrews 12, 15 is talking about. See to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root causes trouble, springs up, defiles many. We have to deal with these kind of things in our own hearts because it will happen as a result of just interpersonal relationships. Again, many times unintentionally, sometimes intentionally. What are we going to do with that? We have to give it to God. It is the glory of a man or woman to overlook an offense. Lord, I give it to you. You saw. You heard. You know. And whether this person ever comes back and apologizes, makes amends, does whatever might be helpful to the healing process, Lord, I give it to you because you're my ultimate healer, and I ask you to deal with it in my own heart, uproot it. I don't want it to become something that springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many, becomes a root of bitterness in my own life. This is, this is the most classic story, I think, in the Bible about how a root of bitterness was never properly dealt with. She held a grudge, and it ended up, causing serious trouble to defile many. It ended up with the death 
of John the Baptist. John's disciples came, took his body, verse 12, and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Now, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, so I'm sure Jesus was moved and um, saddened by this whole scene. It says in verse 13 that when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, some of your Bibles probably have a subtitle right here, Jesus Feeds the 5,000. By the way, this is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only one. So this must be pretty spectacular that all four of the Gospel writers recorded this only miracle. Uh, All other miracles are shared by... um, The others, but not this one. This is only shared by all four of the Gospels. And again, it says feeding the 5,000, but that's because, as we read at the end of the text, they only counted men in the day. They they did not count the women and children. This is easily a miracle of 10 or 15,000 people. I want you to imagine now the hillside along the Sea of Galilee with 10 to 15,000 people, and there Jesus is in the midst of them, and he's going to minister to them. Now, it tells us that he withdrew by boat to a private, a solitary place. King James Bible says a desert place, but it wasn't an arid place in that sense. John's Gospel, in John 6, when it records this story, says there was plenty of grass. Mark 6 says there was a lot of green grass. Uh, So uh, it's a very lush place, but it means desert place, King James, in the sense that it was deserted. It was solitary. This was countryside. It tells us in Luke's gospel that this solitary place was Bethsaida, just on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Now, in verse 14, it says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Circle the word compassion. It is found 12 times in the gospels, and every time that word compassion is found, those 12 times it refers to Jesus. He had compassion And he healed their sick. And as evening approached, verse 15 says, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away. Now notice this. These are the disciples, okay? These are the disciples. We're like, Lord, we we see that there are a lot of people here. Why don't you just get rid of them? Send them away, Lord. Send them away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Notice that. Look, you and I have ministry opportunity all the time with people. Okay, You don't have to be in full-time paid ministry to have ministry. All of us have ministry. And when it comes to people in need, you can respond to them in one of two ways. You can have an attitude of go away or find a way. Find a way to minister to them. The disciples had the attitude of, go away. You know, we don't don't really want to deal with all these people, Lord, send them away. Jesus said, no, 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 you find a way, and you minister to them. And they say in verse 17, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And by the way, it wasn't even really theirs. Because in John's gospel, it tells us that Andrew, one of the disciples, brought a little boy to Jesus. This is a little boy's lunch that they ripped off. Okay, they're like, hey, kid, what are you doing with that lunch? Uh, I don't know. My, my mom wanted me to eat it. Give it to us. We need it. Hey, Jesus, look what we have here. Get away, kid. Yeah, and, uh, and that's it. And they present to Jesus seven or five loaves of bread and two fish. And, uh, and so Jesus says in verse 18, bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Luke's gospel, Luke 9, tells us that Jesus instructed them to sit down in groups of 50 
sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to, to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Now, you know, this is just a, a miraculous thing that is happening in process. They're breaking fish, and it just keeps multiplying. They're breaking bread, and it keeps multiplying. And as they you know, dip the hand in the basket, you know, every, it keeps coming out. All these people are going to get fed. It tells us they're going to be fed so much. Verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied. The literal Greek word there means to be glutted. That's how full they were. You say, what does glutted mean? Let me give you an example. Thanksgiving Day, all right? When you, when you can hardly push yourself away from the table, you're kind of loosening your belt buckle or you're reaching for your stretchy pants. Nacho. You know, you're, you're reaching for stretchy pants because you realize, oh, man, this is one of these days and, you know, I, I need my third piece of, of pumpkin pie. That's glutted. And you slide into a chair and you watch football the rest of the day. That's glutted. And that's what they were right here. They all ate and they were satisfied. They were glutted. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. I love this. Don't you love this? They picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Look at that. How many disciples? How many disciples? 12. They each get a doggy bag. Don't you love this? They're like, I don't, we don't know what to do. She said, why don't you do something? Jesus says to them, okay. And they steal a kid's lunch bag, and then they each get a full basket left over. It's Jesus. I can just see Jesus with a grin on his face right here, can't you? They each have a doggy bag, a big basket of leftover food. Jesus is like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and verse 21, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. By the way, before moving on, I just love the feeding of the 5,000 in many different aspects, but in, in this aspect. Have you ever felt like you didn't have much to offer to God? You, you, ever, you ever felt like that the Lord wanted to use you in a way or you know, minister through you in some way, and you're just thinking, like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what I have to offer it, Lord. And this is one of these stories that reminds me, all we need to give him is the little bit and let him do his wonderful work. I don't have much to offer. Okay, well, whatever you have to offer, that's what the Lord will take, and that's what the Lord multiplies and uses for his glory. All these people were filled. Thousands of people were filled to overflowing. They were so satisfied. They were glutted here, and yet the Lord did such wonderful work in and through them. But again, it's a matter of looking at people and finding ministry opportunities wherever you go. Don't drive them away with the attitude of go away. Instead, find a way to minister to them as the Lord would, would lead you. Now, after this is all done, this has been an evening of ministry, Jesus makes the disciples get in a boat. That's the word. It's, it's, uh, he compelled them in the Greek. He, he forced them, get in the boat, and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, it probably is that he forces them because John's gospel, when he tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it says after Jesus fed them, they determined, the people, the crowd, determined to make him king by force. See, they, they saw what Jesus did here. Thousands of people were like, wow, this guy, this is incredible. We need to make him king. He didn't come to be an earthly king. It wasn't his time. Not yet. He will come again in glory, and he will rule and reign. But at this point, he comes to die for the sins of the world. This is not time to be king and to overthrow the Roman government. So he gets his disciples in a boat. He says, we need to get out of here. Get in the boat. You go now. And he forces them in the boat. He dismisses them, and then he dismissed the crowd. And verse 23 says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
to pray. He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Can you imagine after a long, exhausting day of feeding 10 or 15,000 people? I think what I would want to do is go up on a mountainside and sleep. If this was written about me, that's probably what I want to do. Just find a rock somewhere and hide under it and sleep. No, he prays. Jesus always was about ministry and prayer, prayer and ministry. And he goes to a solitary place and he prays. And it says, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. John's gospel says it was three to three and a half miles offshore. This is in the Sea of Galilee. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against him. During the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 a.m. That's the fourth watch of the night. It's 3 to 6 a.m. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Can you imagine 12 grown men? They're crying you know, the, the storm, and then they think they see a ghost, and like, ah, and they're crying here. You know, we have, the, we have the advantage of reading it, you know. We'd probably, if we were in the boat, we'd be reacting the same way, but, but we, we have the Bible, so we can see the story. And so they're crying. But verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, interestingly, when he says it is I, it is there in the Greek, ego, I me, which is I am. It is that identification of the Lord's name, I am that I am. And he uses that term here. He says, take courage, I am, literally. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Who else would it be, Pete? Okay, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water. Notice that he didn't sink immediately. He's the only guy that, you have to give him courage. He's going to sink here, but he's the only guy who got out of the boat. He at least tried, and he walked on water, and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, to me, it seems like he had a lot of faith here, but, you know... Everything's relative. And Jesus looks at him and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And, of course, this is one of these easy applications in the sense of, you know, we, many of you have read this story at any length can, can uh, recognize that this, you know, this point about Jesus, you know, Peter gets his eyes off of Jesus and onto the storm, and, and that's when he begins to sink. And, you know, the principle here is, you know, always try to fix our eyes on Jesus and not not be distracted by the realities of the storms that are coming, but um, it happens, and he begins to sink. And, and so uh, verse 32 says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. Now, right in the margin of your Bible, John six twenty one, because when John tells this story... It says that when Jesus stepped into the boat, quote, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So John's gospel tells us that here Jesus is walking them on water. Peter then climbs out. He walks a little bit. He begins to sink. Jesus takes hold of him. They get back in the boat. And immediately, John says, when they got in the boat, storm stopped 
and the boat was instantly on the shore where they were going. Now, the Sea of Galilee in its widest point is about eight miles wide. They're three and a half miles. They're basically in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and in one instant, in the blink of an eye, their boat is on the shore. I mean, the, you know, Jesus, Jesus is the miracle worker here. That would be awesome to be in the boat, and all of a sudden, <clears throat> what was that? We're on the beach, and, and there they are on the shore. And, uh, and Jesus... They land here at Gennesaret. Now, Gennesaret, there is a, um, there's a kibbutz at Gennesaret today called Nof Gennesar. At Nof Gennesar, at this kibbutz, there is a boat they call the Jesus boat. Because in 1986, when the Sea of Galilee had receded the waters because of a great drought, they accidentally noticed this boat sticking out of the mud and the sediment of the Sea of Galilee. Because the water had receded so much, here they saw something. They didn't even recognize it first as a boat. When they began to excavate it, they realized it was a boat that they have dated back to between uh, A.D. Uh, 10 and A.D. 50, somewhere right around the time of Jesus' ministry. They went through a very painstaking preservation process. They, they hollowed the boat out, and uh, it was a typical fishing boat that dates back to the time of Jesus, 27 feet long, 7 and a half feet wide, and very well preserved in the mud of the Sea of Galilee. They then, for the next seven years, soaked it in a solution that would preserve it. Then they, they sprayed foam all over it so they could then pull it out from the mud, and then they put it in this, what is a museum today, and it's called the Jesus Boat. Not that there's any possible way that we know whether or not Jesus was actually in that boat, but because it dates back to the time of Jesus' ministry, and it's located right here at uh, what was ancient Gennesaret, uh, called today Gennesaret. Uh, and, uh, and it says, And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Isn't that amazing? That not only did Jesus heal by him touching, but the virtue and the power of the Lord moved through him in such a way that people could touch him and be healed. And um, just the amazing ministry of our Lord, feeding those who were hungry, walking on water, calming the fears of those who were in the boat. And Jesus obviously knew that storm was going to come when he put them in that boat. But it was an opportunity for them once again to learn to trust him, to fix their eyes on Jesus and not to be so overwhelmed by the storm, but instead to trust him, to take hold of him. And uh, Jesus' ongoing ministry of healing and ministering and feeding the sick, and I mean healing the sick and feeding the the hungry, and may we look for those same opportunities in our lives to be vessels that the Lord would work through. There are people all around you all the time who need ministry, and may we have eyes to see those who are in need, and may we have ears to hear as the Holy Spirit would kind of tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, go pray with that person. Go ask that person, is there something I can pray with you about? Go share a verse with that person and tell them God loves them and do whatever God tells you to do to minister to people because all of us who know Christ have ministry. It's just a matter of what are those appointments that God is assigning us to. So read ahead uh, into chapter 15. It's this whole business about tradition versus God's commandments and uh, the Pharisees were obsessed with tradition Uh, Jesus was not all about tradition. He was about um, 
the Word of God, and so uh, he confronts him about that. We'll talk about that when we um, when we get together next time. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know